Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all here for our Sunday service, especially anyone visiting, taking our programs at the Expanding Light or the Meditation Retreat, those of you viewing online, any visitors here today, especially if you're here for the first time. I'm Nayaswami Krishadas. This is Nayaswami Mantra Devi. So we just got back, some of you may not know, from a month in India leading a pilgrimage. And we were way, way far away in distant lands. And it's so good to be home. You know, we're, we were in places like Ladakh, and these ancient, many hundreds of years old temples. It's Buddhist there. So it's a little different, but uh, ancient monasteries, one where it is said that Jesus visited, and there's records, the Hemis Monastery. Then we went to Badrinath, which is probably one of the four, it is one of the four holiest sites of Hinduism in the north, in the Himalayas. And there's, we visited the cave where Veda Vyasa narrated the Mahabharata, which includes the Bhagavad Gita. And here we are in our time with Yogananda interpreting it, and now we read it every Sunday and hopefully every day. Um, the cave where Ganesha wrote, took it down. And then the ancient temple uh, of Badrinath, where Lord Badranarayan, the Murti, is housed. It's been worshipped for hundreds of years since the Adi Shankaracharya installed it there, took it out of the river and installed it there. And it is a beautiful, very deep vibration. So I hope you can feel some of that. Um, then we visited the cave of Adi Shankaracharya in Josima, where he meditated and found God, went into Mahasamadhi, and then um, to Rishikesh at the crypt of Ananamoy Ma, um, Swami Shivananda, and many other, I can't list them all, but it accumulated more and more, and we felt such a deep blessing and really a privilege to be there. But all that to say that we are happy to be at Ananda Village living in one of the deepest, holiest places on the earth. It really is. With all of you, those that live here, <laughs> because this is truly a pilgrimage site of its own. With Lahiri Mandir, the Moksha Mandir, and now this Temple of Light, we are so very blessed and grateful to Swami Kriyananda, who founded it or we probably would not be here. So I'm going to be reading now from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Today's reading, Why tell God anything when he knows everything? Why offer God anything when he has everything? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches as the ideal prayer, one that addresses very human demands to God. Give us this day our daily bread, 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, just before suggesting this prayer, Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Why then his recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up in acceptance of his abundance. Don't pester God as though pulling constantly on his sleeve to get his attention. Approach him with the confidence of a child in its parent. And in that spirit, then, ask him lovingly, but with complete trust, as though demanding your birthright, and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings, that you attune yourself to him in turn more clearly. For only by such clarity will, will you be able to receive perfectly what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him not because he needs anything from us, except, as Yogananda said, our love to complete his love for us, but because by self-giving, we expand our awareness from its confinement in the little ego outward to infinity. As the Bhagavad Gita states in the fourth chapter, those who partake of the nectar remaining after a sacrifice attain to the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices never truly succeeds in enjoying, in enjoying even the blessings of this material world. How then could he attain happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you. And I'm going to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. And these are poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Make me feel that everything is joy. I am the foam of happiness spumed out of the sea of thy joy. I am the ocean life bounding with the billows of joy. Endless eddies of my laughter spread through all hearts. When the time comes to depart, I will retire to wakeful sleep on the bosom of thy infinite joy, a ripple ever dancing with billows of all joy. I am a bubble of joy, 
struggling to burst and unite with the ocean of joy. I feel thy joy in all things. Make me a lighthouse of joy also, guiding storm-tossed vessels of life to safety on the shores of thy joy. Let every vine of my activity bear large grape clusters of thy joy. Let me drink the divine wine pressed from the grapes of all life's little joys. <clears throat> so as Krishnadas mentioned, we just came back from India and um, Ananda village has been uh, many times now had power outages. So we were hearing how the power outages were happening here two, three, four days at a time. And so on the way back from the airport, I called the village to see if the power was on. And Gopal answered the phone and he said, he said, no, the power's out. He said, well, after visiting a third world country, you didn't expect to come home to a third world country. <laughs> and in fact, India's getting very modernized. The power only went out a few times, flickered, and came back on. And only one time I was in the shower and the water quit. <laughs> but it came on really quickly, which was really good. So um, the topic today, why tell God anything? Because he knows everything. Okay, I was thinking about this and thinking, um, let's look at ourselves and God in a whole different way, from a little bit of a different perspective in a way. Because here we are in our bodies, and our bodies are, this is, oh, consumes our thought. We're very aware of our bodies. This is, in a way, our own little world. We're, each of us are walking around in our, our little bubble of a world, of our body, the things we do, the occupations we have, the, the, all, everything that's going on. And you're very aware of your body, right? You're aware of your arms and your legs, and you're aware of uh, how you feel today. You're aware of your thoughts and your moods. Um, if you bump your shin, you immediately, your thought goes to your shin, and you um, feel the pain. Uh, you have passing thoughts. You have certain things that take your attention. Maybe you realize your hair needs washing, but you can put that off till the next day. And so you don't give it much thought until the next day. And you go, I need to work on this. I need to do something. And um, so it's, it's like we're, we're very aware. You're outside and you feel the sunshine on your head and shoulders. You feel the, the little um, feel of a fly on your skin, just the gentle little touch. Or maybe you have a thought that makes you smile. And we're, we're very consumed and aware of these bodies and our little world, right? So um, let, let's just do a little experiential exercise. Close your eyes and sit very still, very, very still. And now move your finger. You're Im immediately, your mind goes to your finger. Immediately, you're very aware of your finger. 
And now think of your heart. And open your heart and let love and joy just flood into your heart. Feel that love expanding your heart out to the person next to you on all sides, front and back, and to this whole room. And let that, that love and that joy in your heart radiate out. And let's send it out from this whole building to the, wor- to the world. And now, focus on the spiritual eye. Just gently look up with your eyes closed, being aware of your heart. Okay, so now you've just raised your vibration and you're a little bit more in sync with the vibration of God. When we do this, when we live that way, then our vibration is going to come closer to what God is. So now what is God? Master said that the whole universe is God's body. Swami Kriyananda said one time, Um, quoting Master, that the whole universe was created so that man could learn his lessons. And that's what God's body and his, um, his awareness is this whole universe. And it's trillions and quadrillions times bigger than our little body, but we're a part of that universe. He is as aware of us as we are aware of our little finger. He knows exactly what's going on in everything that we do. We may not know that we have cancer, let's say, or that we need a heart operation, But he already knows this. And he knows that whatever we need is going to happen in the best and highest way. So he's got all of this happening in so much more than we can even imagine. But because we are made in God's image, we have the ability to just get a glimpse of what that could be. And what could that be that everything that happens, God wants to help us, help us learn our lessons. So he's orchestrating it perfectly in everything that happens in our life. But sometimes we can't accept it. In the reading, it said, Swami wrote, why should we tell God everything? Obviously, he knows everything. What? So what good is it? It's for our own good, our own clarity. When, when we get more clear on what is happening in our life, when we let go of all those koshas of, of delusion that we've been collecting over many lifetimes, when we get more clear, we can then receive what God has to give us. And so we pray to God and we think, He's not answering us, but God wants us 
And we know this intellectually. God wants us to have everything. We know we are his children. But we haven't got the clarity. We haven't got the, the receptivity and so many different things. His universe is very complicated, isn't it? It has to do with timing. It has to do with our individual karma. It has to do with um, <clears throat> when we can get clear. And, but because he's omniscient and omnipotent, and he doesn't have to deal with time and space the way we do, he can orchestrate everything to happen exactly as it should. And we don't always have the faith. We think, oh, he hasn't heard us. And Swami Kriyananda, he said, most people pray as if they think God isn't listening. And they roam around in their minds, and then they take these half-baked thoughts and throw them into this cavernous void. And that's, and then we say, but God, you're not listening to me. God hasn't heard my prayer, but he has heard your prayer. And when the time is right, and you are receptive enough, then he will be able to answer. And he will be able to make it happen. And you look in your own life and you know, you think, oh, that was a coincidence. Oh, that was divine timing. No, 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 it, none of it was. It was all exactly right, <clears throat> according to what you could accept at that time. So our job is to simply become more clear, excuse me. <clears throat> and thank you. To become more clear and to become more aware that we are one, we are part of all of that. We go around feeling separate all the time, but we're not. And um, when we say, well, what can we give to God? And it's so touching because what we can give to God, there's only one thing, and that's our love. <clears throat> and the way that Swami, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that Swami explained it, this is being in Delhi with all the pollution. <laughs> it came back with me. <clears throat> so God has only wanting that one thing from us, and that is our love. And Swami explained it. Isn't it funny, we read these things over and over again, then all of a sudden it becomes more clear. This is why we have to hear it over and over. But the way he explained it, he said, God needs our love in order to complete his love for us. And so here's God's love, and here's our love. And so we have to come up to that love so that we can complete the circuit. And when that circuit is complete, that is self-realization. And so just making us aware of a bigger reality than, than we've been having. And in this vein, I've been uh, doing a little exercise in myself and and just thinking how, okay, all these billions and trillions of people, we're all a part of each other. And so whenever I look at someone and I think, oh, that person's a part of me. 
So I see somebody being, being devotional. That's a part of me. I see somebody being indignant and selfish. Oh, that's a part of me. I see somebody else being regal. That's a part of me. And I don't have to do all these things. I, I can just do my little part. But all these are a part of me. And we're all a part of that big universal body of God. So we have to stop thinking of ourselves being separate and being, I'm just me in my little body. No, I'm part of you. You're part of everyone. And it's a beautiful concept that we can practice more and more and, and feeling that deepness. You know, I think the thing that I take away from India the most is that God is a part of everything and God is a part of life. God, even the mechanic, you know, his shop is called Krishna's something or Ram something or everybody has words of God, all the deities. And they, they um, are constantly having that be part of their life. <clears throat> even we were by our hotel and there was a little booth there, hardly noticeable. But I saw a car come up and stop by the booth and a man came out of the booth and with his little sandal paste, you know, red, he drew an emblem and drew a, a holy thing. It was a, a swastika actually on the car. And then he took flowers and rice and blessed it. And then the car went on. He blessed the car. Everybody, everybody knows that, okay, we need the blessing. Somebody said, well, yeah, on these roads, you really need your car blessed, <laughs> which <laughs> is true. But in Bajranath especially, I think, um, well, it really touched me in that the whole town is geared toward the temple. And that's the focal point of the temple. And here at Ananda Village, with our big, beautiful temple that we have, it's the focal part of, of our life. And when we had the, 50, um, the dedication anniversary week, I think what touched me the most was watching people walk on the paths to and from the temple, from all different directions. And I'm sure it touched a memory of past lives where the temple has been our focal point many, many times. And in Badranath, that is the focal point. I mean, even all the, the vendors there, they know that's where their sustenance comes from. And there's swamis everywhere, which reminds you, you know, that the focus is God in their life. And there's swamis of all different consciousness. We, we were walking along a path above the Alakan Nanda River, which is the main, one of the main feeds into the Ganges. It becomes the Ganges River. And it, um, there were all kinds of swamis, dozens of them walking to the temple. And so many of them seemed very focused and um, um, inner. And we had a very joyful swami come and give us a little satsang. And he talked about things like, oh, God is the doer, surrender to God's will, serve God, same things we talk about. And then there was another Swami we visited, and I wanted to mention him because 
um, he reminded me so much of Turia. And Turia is a member that recently passed away. But this man lived up the mountain. We had to climb, take a hike up the mountain. And he had built himself a beautiful little temple and a um, little living space in it. And he had deities there and fresh flowers where he did his puja every morning. And um, it re I just thought, you know, if Turiya was being a Swami, this is how he would have been a Swami. Because Turiya built a beautiful temple and he loved to share the teachings. And so we all crowded into his little temple and he did a puja, he did a, a, a um, RT and ceremony. And before, he gave a little talk that one of our uh, Indian pilgrims translated for us. And he talked about things like, he said, okay, when you do this RT, um, decide what you want to give away to God and what help you want from God, just like we do in the purification. You know, the teachings are universal. And he invited us to put things on the altar and bless them. And here he is, a little spark of light, you know, with his little temple and people go by and, and you know, sometimes they probably do, sometimes they don't. But he's there worshiping God. And there's all kinds, I mean, you go down by the market area and then there's all the beggar swamis. And I was thinking about that, all these swamis that are, are, are just begging. They're, they're no longer um, meditating. They're no longer serving. So what happened with them? They won, once upon a time, they had those high ideals. And now something must have happened. Maybe it was really hard to be a swami. Maybe something happened in their life and um, they became bitter or disillusioned, and now they're all sitting there begging. And um, I had a whole adventure with that that I don't have time to tell you, but, but it was, you know, it's like, um, it made me think, okay, there's all levels of consciousness, and how, what we aspire to, maybe they didn't make it this life, but they will again, and you never lose that level of um, evolution that you have reached. And so maybe they'll come back and next time they'll have more success with it. But um, a couple of things that with Ananda Moima, we went to her ashram as we always do in Rishikesh, which is so inspiring because not so much even the ashram, it's very, it is with her body and, and the room where she slept, but her life is so inspiring. And I wanted to tell you something she said about Swami Kriyananda one time. And that's, uh, she was in the ashram and the brahmacharinis were there and they were having a talk about how Ma never cared what caste people were. And of course, foreigners had no caste. And um, one young woman was kind of complaining to Ma, and she said, she said, Ma, we've been with you for 20 years, and you don't give us all the time that you just gave to a Western yogi 
six hours of your time. And that never happens with us. And Ma said to her, she said, well, you know, the lotus sits in the pond and there are many frogs in the pond and they go ga, 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 ga all the time. And they, there are insects that fly around. But then a bee comes and the bee comes and sits on the petals of the lotus and drinks the nectar. And she said, and you all don't know how to get the nectar. You don't know how to get that honey. And here this foreign Swami Kriyananda comes and he knows how to get the nectar. He knows how to get the honey and to hold this body for six hours at a time. And it really makes you realize what Swami had and what we had in Swami. And Ananda Moima, she went to see, this is another sweet story, that she went to see Gandhi. And when she went to see Gandhi, she came in and she said, Gandhi, no, she called him father. She said, father, your crazy daughter has come to visit you. <laughs> and he, he just embraced her with wide open arms and he sat there talking to her, holding her hand for a long time. And he said he wanted her to stay with him and not, not wander anymore, but come and stay here with him. And she laughed and she said, she said something humorous. And then she said, um, she said very seriously, she said, I will come and get you when the time is right. And then um, she was leaving and he said, oh, you've come like a dacoit in the night to steal my heart. And she said, I shall steal, shall I, shall I steal all that belongs to you? And he, very quietly, he said, oh, a theft like that would be a rare, rare fortune. And then later she sent him a little note and um, through one of his aides, and she said, tell Gandhiji to be prepared for his time for coming home is coming close. And, um, and then she saw him one more time, making me tear up a little, that she saw him one more time before he was assassinated in 1948. And she, again, he urged her to stop her wanderings and stay with him. And she very seriously said to him, Father, I am with you always. So you see, God is always with us through these saints, through each other, through all these ways that, that um, we don't always think of or notice. And I just wanted to read, and I'll end. Well, one thing Swami Kriyananda said, he said, to err is human. That's true. To be human is to, is to err. He said, that's false. He said, mankind can um, rise above error and banish delusion. And so we can do that. We, we have the ability to. But in daily meditations that in 1941, Paramahansa Yogananda published in Inner Culture, 
My body is the universe, and I am the astral breath, which enlivens all things. I am the big life, which is throbbing as the little life in my heart. I will not beg for anything. I will demand all things as my divine birthright. So let's be like the little bees and sip the nectar of God's love.